0: Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. What a privilege to sit down with you live every morning. Instead of just doing my devotions by myself, I sit here and share them with you every morning. We don't pre-tape this. We don't pre-record this. To me, that's important because one of the things I felt God say was, go through this with the people. Walk this journey together. So I don't want to pre-record a bunch of stuff and then sit around and just study and relax. I want to every morning and every evening walk this journey together with you. God is with you. God is with you. We we may be apart physically, but we can be together by this little communicationist technique. But the most important thing is for every day for me to point you to God. For every day to point you to the one who died and rose again for you. To every day point you to the one who is the shepherd, the great shepherd of your souls. Father, we come in Jesus' name, our hearts are full, Lord, our hearts are full. There was a time years ago if this would have happened. The devastation would have been so bad. But God,
1: you've been good to your people. You have blessed your people.
0: Sometimes I sneeze in the morning, so welcome to my life and live television. Allergies, sometimes I sneeze in the morning. Father, you've been good to your people beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. Father, I just ask that your presence come down in the homes. Jesus, that you would walk among our people today. And as you walk among them, just let your glory fill those homes. Let your presence fill those homes. Let your faithfulness be their shield. Let your love surround them, Father. I ask that you bring peace in every home. Tensions are beginning to rise a little bit after coming on 12 days now. Tensions are rising. But Lord, just baptize every home with love today. But Father, as people open their hearts to you in this time, let this be a time of tremendous ideas. Times of tremendous ideas, Father. Things that will change destinies of families. New creativity, new ways of doing things. Father, let this be a birthplace, a birthplace of destinies as people have had to park their lives rather than being bored, Lord. Let them open their hearts and listen to you. Let them hear your voice in these days, Lord. Let them hear your guidance in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalms chapter 91, beginning with verse 1. Every morning and every evening we start with this. Though in the evening, Sister Bev reads it. she's much prettier than me. And don't you love her little red hat at night? <laughs> she got that in Israel on this last trip to the market. And she loves her little red hat. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, Near you. <laughs> you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague shall come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on lion and adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love. Oh, how I love that. I wrote an entire sermon one time just because I love him. And I went Genesis to Revelation and showed you all the things God does just because you love him. And then I wrote another one to go with it just because he loves you all the things he does, just because he loves you. So forgive me if I always get excited about that. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name every night. That's our theme, because he knows my name every night. I've just felt that God said they need to know who I am. They need to understand me. When you see all this death and you see all this suffering and you see all this fear, I need to point you to God and show you how wonderful God is. Because he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Right now, these are days of trouble. And he said, I'm not going to walk out on you. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. My friends, you do not need to fear death. First of all, Jesus died and rose again to take away the fear of death. We're not like the people of this world. We don't fear death. There is no hell that awaits you. There is only heaven. So number one, we're not afraid of it. And that's important because Job says what he feared came upon him. You just have to get out of the fear of this thing. If you don't stand in faith, you won't stand at all. Right now. Break the fear off of your life in Jesus' name and learn what a wonderful Savior that we have. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
2: You
0: open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we'll begin reading with verse 10. One thing I do hope that we accomplish during this lockdown is that a love for the Word of God gets on your insides, a love for just reading the Bible, just digging into the Bible every morning of your life. All we're doing is reading our agreed upon passages. These are passages. You say, Pastor, how do you know how far to read every day? Well, I'll tell, tell you a little secret. Every time I buy a new Bible, I hand it to Pastor Ruth, and Pastor Ruth takes the uh, Bible reading guide that we give you every January, and she goes through and she marks in the columns what day for every day. So it's all laid out, and I would suggest that you take a little time and do this one day. All right, beginning with verse 10. On their return, so all right, they've they've come back. The apostles told him they've just come back from their first training trip together. They've each one of them has gone out two by twos, and they've preached the gospel and they've healed the sick. And on their return, they come back from their independent training missions. The apostles told him Jesus all they had done. So accountability takes place, and he took them and withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. Now, there's something that I want you to notice here. They'd finished a project together. This is their first time of going out on their own. Before, they'd always followed Jesus around, and Jesus had carried the load. Jesus had done the preaching. Jesus had done the praying, and they were just there to support him. Now they went out, and they had to carry the load. They had the pressure. They had to do the speaking. They had to do the laying on of hands of the sick and casting out demons. They had to do all of that. Now, when they come back, two things occur. First, they report, they show their accountability. And then second, Jesus takes them away for a little rest to the city, to a town called Bethsaida. Now, notice, a time to rest follows a great project, but it also follows accountability. You don't rest before accountability is given. Now, another one of the Gospels puts it this way. They came back and reported to Jesus all they had said and done. All they had taught and all that they had physically accomplished like the people that healed. My grandfather always taught this to me as pastoral accountability. Every day when I come home, the last thing I do is I lay my head on my pillow at night is I report to Jesus. This this is accountability, not accountability to a person, accountability to the great shepherd. Every night I come back, Jesus, this is what I've done today. And I review my day and I go through the counselings. I go through the administrative work. I go through the decisions. I go through the material that I've been teaching. I go through the people I prayed for, the people I visited. And I lay it out. And I say, Jesus, this is what I've done today. This is what I've taught today. Accountability. It's very important to keep your heart in the right place. If you wonder why people get arrogant egos and and get out of line, the Bible says, when you were little in your own eyes, I could use you. When you were little, when you were small in your own eyes, I could use you. As long as you're maintaining that accountability to the great shepherd. Now, listen to me, leaders. Listen to me, pastors that are listening. As long as you maintain that accountability to the great shepherd, Remembering that you're an under-shepherd and that you are accountable, It's amazing. Your heart just stays right. I didn't say you're perfect, but your heart stays right. He took the moon and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida now. Bethsaida is up there on that northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, closer to Lebanon, closer to um, uh, Caesarea Philippi. And if you go there today, in fact, we don't take tour buses there because there's not much to see yet. They have found the city. They've done some of the excavation, you can walk down the street, uh, but it looks like it's a far way away from the Sea of Galilee. Because in those days, the, the little rivers that came down, especially during rainy season, the little rivers that came down formed a lagoon right there by Bethsaida. And the boats would come up from the Sea of Galilee into that lagoon. It was a perfect little fishing village. But over the centuries, of course, silt coming down from those little rivers during rainy season, and the decrease in the height of the Sea of Galilee combined, Bethsaida now looks like it's, you know, a couple of kilometers away from the Sea of Galilee. But it is an out-of-the-way place then and today. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and welcomed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. Now notice, when the crowds came, Jesus never pushed anybody away. That, that's just not who Jesus is. Jesus never pushed anybody away. He always welcomed the crowds. Now, leaders, I know we get tired, but when people need us, we should never push them away. He welcomed them, and notice he didn't welcome them and just say, all right, let's come a let's have a party, let's fellowship together. Jesus was always spiritually productive in people's lives. Now, when I was a young pastor, I thought, Jesus, I can't do this. I don't know how to be charismatic. I don't know how to go to a party. I I, I I'm I, I don't know how to socialize. I don't know how to do that kind of thing. And I'm not good at this this being popular thing. So I how can I be a pastor? And when I came across this verse and realized every time people came to Jesus, he didn't just sit around and entertain people and hold court, so to speak, and and you know, try to be popular with everybody. He he was not a good, you know, conversationalist, smoozer. Smoozer means just talking, and he wasn't good at that. Every time people gathered around him, he was spiritually productive. He spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. I thought, Jesus, okay, I can do that. This is something I can do, Jesus. I I, I can I can have a purpose when I get around the people. I don't know how to be popular and and, sh- and just, you know, party with people and make small talk and make everybody like me and laugh and tell jokes, but I, I can be spiritually productive with the people. So this is one of those verses in the Bible that really helped me as a baby pastor. Now, the day began to wear away, and the, and some of you, I'm saying that today because you're like me. You're kind of shy. you You'd rather be doing something than trying to sit around and work a room and be popular and get everybody to like you. And you, you, you and I, we're not influencers like the world calls an influencer. But, but I can't be an influencer for the kingdom. I, I, can, I can be spiritually productive. and So can you. So shyness is not an excuse to not do the ministry. Pastor, I'm not good at parties and stuff. I don't think Jesus was either. Now, the day they began to wear away. In other words, you know, the day passed. And the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away, to go away into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get provisions. For we're here in a desolate place. Now, it is true, even in Jesus's day, that area up there wasn't close to anything else. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Now, the fact that they even suggest that shows that funds were available. Have you ever thought about that? I put a question mark for several years in my Bible, and it just dawned on me. The fact that they would suggest to go and buy food for all those people means that they did have funds available. Jesus didn't walk around in poverty. But there were about 5,000 men. Do you realize how much money that would take? And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. And they did so. And he had all of them sit down. I said, Pastor, why did he always have people do this? Every time he fed the multitudes, he had them organized first. Have you ever tried to give up food to people? It can get very chaotic. Jesus likes order and discipline. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said blessings over them. Remember, do you remember Brother John talking the other night how when you look up toward heaven, it changes your perspective? I like that. He looked up to heaven, got to remember where you come from, and set a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Now notice, Jesus didn't pass out the food. He gave the food to the twelve, and the twelve gave the food out to everybody else. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice here. Whatever God provides, he provides in abundance he doesn't provide just enough he always provides an abundance now what you do with that abundance is very very important now please i'm going to say this i don't want you to feel condemned i don't want you to feel like i'm criticizing you but some of you are having a financial need right now because when god gave you an abundance you then wasted it sometimes when we ask god to provide he gives us an abundance and then we need to
1: pick it up. Picking it up means you're
0: saving it. You're, you're setting it away to store, to be used. Now, we can't change the past, but we can change the future. From now on, whenever God provides for you, and it's more than enough, and it always is more than enough, don't ever just go, well, I got extra, so I'll go do this, or I'll go do that. No, 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 no. Stick that extra in the bank. And save it. You see, one of the ways that God provides, one of the ways that we understand God's provision, is a better way to say it, is daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, part of the uh, Lord's Prayer. Now daily bread is a Roman military concept. A soldier was always given his food the day in advance. You can't stop in the middle of a battle. And pass out food. Let's bring in the food truck. Let's bring in the wagons full of bread for all the soldiers. No, every, every night they would get their bread, they'd stick it in their pack, and that's what they would eat the next day as they were waking for battle or whatever, or rested in between battles. Bread given in advance. You and I have to learn that God will always provide for us in advance so that we're never in need. When He says that God meets all of our needs, He, he does this in advance. But too often, you and I spend it because we don't see a need for it right now. But the need's going to be tomorrow. The need's going to be next week. The need's going to be next month. So please learn this concept of never wasting God's provision. Never. you know. When I was a kid, my, my mama used to always say, waste not, want not. And it was really true. I mean, that, that's what she'd tell me. You had to clean your plate. You know, waste not, want not. To this day, I, I clean my plate. And you can tell. Waste not, want not. You, you save whatever. Whatever doesn't need to be spent, you set it aside in a bank account. Well, pastor, I don't believe in saving for a rainy day because I'm never going to have a rainy day. Well, you know, you can sigh all the super spiritual tritisms you want. But at some point, we need to recognize God provides for us in advance. Let's not waste it. Verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, now notice, everybody needs to get alone to pray. I mean, please, group prayer and everything is wonderful. Being in the house right now with all the family, praying together in family devotions is wonderful. But this is why I told you last night, you need to have a, a quiet room where everybody in the family gets to go in there for an hour a day and just be quiet and be alone. It, it Solitude is one of the most beautiful healing things for the soul, but it's also a time for prayer. Now it happened as he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and others, one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Amazing. He didn't want anybody to be told this. Then he said, the son of man must suffer, not may, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, I want you to notice with me something that you're going to see if you'll read the Gospels carefully. Not only did Jesus always tell them, this is is the end game. Okay, let me tell you about the end game, so that they wouldn't be discouraged. He also told them about resurrection. (laughs) Now, why the apostles were so discouraged after his death Your friend has died. This I
1: understand. But every time he talked about his death, he
0: also talked about the third day. It is amazing to me how pain and suffering and hurt and discouragement makes you forget good news. Now, there's the principle. Hard times make you forget good promises. There's something about hard times that just... It gets you so focused that you forget the promise. Yeah, he said, I'm going to suffer and die. But now, here's the promise. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. Some of you right now, it's it a little hard. Some of you, especially that are no work, no pay, you're, you're wondering about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be just fine. God's going to take care of you. Don't allow the suffering and the discouragement of today to cause you to forget the promises of God. Then he continues in verse 29. And he said to to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would lose his life, save his life, will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now, back up this just a little bit. If you're going to be a Christian, this is what God expects of you. I mean, this, these. You say, "What? What does God expect of me, Pastor?" As a Christian, this is what He expects. He said, "Deny yourself." You know what? There's a lot of things that we have the right to, but we deny ourselves.
1: Paul said, "Listen, don't we have the right to take a
0: believing wife like Peter and the others?" We have to deny ourselves. There are those of us in the ministry but there are those of us as Christians. God has asked us to do some things. And in order to do them, we have to deny ourselves, And we take up his cross, Not, not, not Jesus's cross, our own cross. The cross was Jesus's
1: destiny, what God expected from him, the
0: will of God for him. What is the will of God for your life? Now, you're, you're never going to be able to take up his plan for your life until you deny yourself. Deny yourself, then you can pick up his plan for your life. And then follow Jesus. Follow me. But isn't that exactly what he told the rich young ruler? He said, sell all that you have, give it to the poor. <laughs> deny yourself. Come follow me. You are never going to be able to follow Jesus in this world. Unless you follow the steps. First, you deny yourself. You say, I know this is what I want. I know these were my dreams. But I take all of that and I set it aside. I want to take up God's will, God's plan for my life. And when you do those two things, following Jesus is not difficult. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. I don't ever want to be ashamed of Jesus. I don't ever want to be ashamed of his words. Now, it's, it's one thing for us as Christians to not be ashamed of Jesus. We live in the Philippines. That's, that's pretty easy. But to be ashamed of his words. His words were, you must be born again. I won't be ashamed of those words. Hmm. Now, you, you think of his words. Make sure that in front of your friends oh, you're so corny, oh, you're so old-fashioned, oh, you're so prudish. And they want to shame you because you follow the words of Jesus. Never be ashamed of him. Never be ashamed of his words. Because when he comes back, he says, if you're ashamed of me, you're ashamed of my words. When I come back, I'm going to be ashamed of you. I don't want to be there with my head bowed And Jesus just looks at me and shakes his head, and he's ashamed of me. I want Jesus to be proud of me. I want Jesus to be proud of you. Never be ashamed of him. Never be ashamed of his words. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, about eight days after, now, it's one of those things I have a question mark in my Bible about. I don't know the answer for it. I've read a few things, but I still don't not clear on it why is it so specific eight days i mean rarely do we have such exactness in the gospels now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him peter and john and james and went up to the mountain to pray now again we find down in verse 18 he's going off alone to pray now we find again in verse 28 he's going up on a mountain to pray jesus loved to pray and as he was praying the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. They were talking about his death, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, my questions, why, why Moses and why Elijah? Why talking about his death? There are many that say that these guys are the are the two witnesses, because we don't have proof that Moses died. We we have no place of his burial. He just went up to the mountain, so maybe God took him. We know that Elijah, God just took, he's never died. It's been pointed out where a man wants to die. Others say Enoch will be one of the two witnesses. We'll see. But these men were talking about his death in Jerusalem. Now that's fascinating to me. And it's one of those question marks in my Bible. Why Moses? Why Elijah? And why of all the things were they discussing his death in Jerusalem? Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents because it's the Feast of Tabernacles period. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. He said, Peter was talking and not knowing what he's talking about. Every one of us, in our excitement, often offers to do something in our excitement, and we don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. You know, sometimes God just interrupts our excitement and says, stop talking and listen. Have you ever been around a person that every time you try to give them instructions, immediately they start talking and you wanna say, "You know, I love your excitement and your enthusiasm, but would you please, Zip your lip and listen. Zip your lip and open your ears and listen. And this is what God was saying to to these men. Hey, guys, this is my son, my chosen
1: one. Stop being so enthusiastic and wanting to do something. And listen. Listen to
0: him. Now, brothers and sisters, if, if you're like me, and most of you are, we're, we're people of action. We want to do something. We, we see something that we've never seen before, and we want to get involved, and we want to do something. Sometimes there's a spiritual discipline called listening, when in all of our excitement and enthusiasm, we should just sit still and listen. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This story did not come out until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. Ah, oh. Brothers and sisters, every morning as we read, there's so much truth in every place. All right, let's open up our hearts and worship again. Would you open your Bibles down to Deuteronomy chapter 14? Now, before we begin today, I'm going to read some passages that sound so familiar to you. It's almost like the Apostle Paul wrote them or the Apostle Peter wrote them. Now, we we live in a world where people have taken the Old Testament and kind of thrown it away. The Christian world. And I've never understood this. God did not change between Malachi and Matthew. God is the same. But people have tried to break up the Bible into dispensational things, and they just don't understand. Now, I want you just to be logical with me for a moment. When Paul told Timothy, pay attention to the public reading of scriptures, what were they reading? They were reading the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. So in the, Old Tes- in, the in the church in, G- in Paul's time, what they were reading with these scriptures that we're talking about now, the law and the prophets, they were reading what we call today the Old Testament, so you're going to see so much come out in paul's teachings and, and people will say, "Well, you know we don't have to pay any attention to any of that anymore. Well, then Paul did, Peter did, and let me show that to you. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 14. We'll start reading today in verse one: "You are the sons of the Lord your God. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Paul. Galatians three twenty six, Galatians 4, verse 6. Romans 8, verse 14. Romans 8, verse 19. Now you are the sons of God. Where did Paul learn this great revelation? Hear from Moses. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads. Now, Make, it's not that it happens naturally, but make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. In other words, I don't want you to do any of this masochistic self-mutilation stuff that people do in these false religions around you. Now, young people, please forgive me, but this purposeful scarring, you you shouldn't be doing this. You're, You're the sons of God. This, where, where young people will take it and they call it cutting, and they, they cut themselves someplace on their body, and they keep cutting it and cutting it and cutting it until it builds up a scar, and it, it makes almost like permanent decorations on the body. He said, I, I don't want you to be doing that. And th- this shaving of the front of the head, it was also a religious ritual in that day of, of false religions. He said, you don't do this. You're sons of God. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth. Does that sound familiar? The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. We are a chosen generation, a treasured possession, a people holy unto the Lord. This is what Peter teaches in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. So we're seeing... My grandfather helped me understand the Old Testament as a young baby preacher. He said, Davey, he said, it's not hard to comprehend. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Let me say that one more time. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. types, figures, symbols. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's all laid out there for us. So don't don't get yourselves into these, this dispensational thinking. He said, you, sh- you shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, uh, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has a hoof cloven in two, not, not five, two, cloven in two and choose the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have a hoof cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not part the hoof. They are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, their carcasses you shall not touch. Now, I want to, well, let me just go on, then we'll make some commentary on this. These are, These are the dietary laws of God, and they were given for a purpose, not because God wants to restrict people. Of all that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat. Whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. In other words, shrimp, crabs, squid, only eat the things that have fins and scales. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones you shall not eat. the eagle the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl and the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the koromot, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. And all wind-winged insects are unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. All clean wind things you may eat. Now, have you noticed that there's a pattern here? You can eat anything that eats vegetation, but you shall not eat anything that is a scavenger. Ah, anything that is a scavenger, you're not to eat. All of the uh, animals that we eat, these are the ones that eat the grass, they chew the cud. But even the ones that chew the cud that will eat meat, that will eat things and garbage that they find laying around, You don't eat. Like, forgive me, pigs, they're like a garbage machine, okay? I mean, whatever you sit in front of a pig, they will eat. Now, you have to understand God is trying to protect their health. The same thing with uh, the fish. Anything that has scale is clean, but anything that feeds off the bottom, that feeds off garbage, you are not to eat. The same with the birds. Any kind of a bird that eats dead, dead carrion, dead fowl, uh, anything that would scavenge, garbage, dead things, you don't eat. And then it closes out that whole section, you shall not eat anything that has died naturally. Anything that cleans up natural death, you don't eat, and you don't eat things that have died naturally because you don't know why they died. Now, all of this is not about God trying to control people's taste buds. This is God saying, I'm trying to protect the health. I'm trying to stop pestilence from coming in among the people. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. He so said, you don't know why it died. You may give it to the sojourner, somebody who's passing through, who is within your towns, and he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people holy to the Lord. Now, again, I want you to see, yes, Jesus had declared all foods clean. I have no problem with that. Yes, I eat shrimp. Yes, I eat squid. Uh, Jesus had declared all food's clean, but it's a different day today, and it was even a different day in Jesus's day. This was a group of people that had just come out of slavery, and me said that again, they've just come out of hundreds of years of slavery. They don't know proper hygiene. They're wandering together in the desert. If they wander in the desert together and somebody picks up a plague from eating a, a bat that has drunk the blood of an animal that has a virus, the next thing you know, the entire nation of one million— excuse me, mornings and I sneeze— the entire nation of one million people are wiped out. So God is putting hygiene laws in place. Now, th- these are not— Religious things, these are hygiene things. Now, this one I really don't understand. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, the way Israel applies this today is they never mix meat and dairy in the same meal. Uh, I don't understand it. Uh, Every time we go to Israel, you know, you realize when you get coffee at dinner time because there's meat in the restaurant, there will be no milk for your coffee. There'll be a non dairy creamer. The ice cream, and sometimes the ice cream is really, really good. You know I would know that. But there's no milk in it. You go, how do they make this taste so good? And there's no milk in it. Now at breakfast, this one I struggle with. There's no meat. There is no meat at breakfast. There can be tuna. There can be uh, these pickled herring things. But there's no meat. There's no bacon. There's no pork. And you just go, I'd like some meat for breakfast. That's my favorite meal but they will never mix meat and dairy in the same place at the same meal. And they won't even use the same dishes. Like the dishes for breakfast are not used for the dishes at dinner. The cooking instruments that for breakfast will not be used for the cooking instruments at dinner. That's what it means to be kosher, or part of what it means to be kosher. Now, what is the, um, the medical significance of not cooking a young goat in its mother's milk? I have no idea. Maybe one day we will understand that. Maybe one of you is a doctor or a nutritionist, and you could help us out with that. Uh, But, you know, I don't get it. Verse 22. Now we're going to talk about tithes. Now one of the things people get confused about is they don't understand there's three different types of tithes in the Old Testament. And because they don't understand the difference between the three different types of tithes, they get themselves confused. Verse 22: You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes in from your field every year, year by year. Now this is an annual tithe. And, be, and before the Lord your God in the place that He will choose—remember, they've never—they've never gone out and searched for that place yet—to make His name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. In other words, you go to the temple and you—you you celebrate with the tithe. There's a portion of it that, that you eat, just like a portion of your tithe is used to take care of you in church today. You know, you've know, you got the seat that you sit in and the air conditioner that you enjoy. There's something there that your tithe provides that benefits you. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, When the Lord your God blesses you, the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there. Then you shall turn it in the money and bind up the sum in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, or whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite. In other words, this isn't for you all to consume. You shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe. Now, this is the third year tithe. This is an additional tithe. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce into the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are within your town, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Chapter 15, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. Now. This is a methodology of prosperity. This, the, he's now teaching business principles. All right, we've talked about worship principles. We've talked about food principles. Now we talk about business principles. God laid out an economic model for the people of Israel. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor and shall not exact it of his neighbor. His brother, because of the Lord's release, has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever is yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. And there should be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. Now notice, you don't keep people in poverty. At the end of seven years, everybody should be free from debt. Now, how do I live this principle today? I don't think you should take out loans more than seven years. Okay, forgive me, but a seven year loan should be sufficient to get everything paid back. At the end of seven years, you need to be free. But that's just me. I would not preach that as a doctrine, but that's how I would live my life. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will bless you. Okay, the reason that poverty is removed is God's blessing. Now, verse five. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, okay, this is the reality of life. In any of your town within the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Now, not sufficient for his want, sufficient for his need. Now, the problem with Christianity today when it comes to borrowing money and lending money is people want to do it for wants and not for needs. People have gone out and lived extravagantly. Like I had a family come to me and they said, Pastor Summerall, can we borrow some money? And I said, but you just got back from... A trip you've been to Tokyo this year, you've been to Singapore this year with your family. Yes, but but Pastor, we can't pay these bills. I'm not going to loan people money for their wants. And you just have to learn to say no to people. It's about wants. But now, if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Sumrall, I don't have food to feed my family. Yeah, I'm going to do everything I can to help them. There's a difference between needs and wants. You shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, not his want. Like, one of our members came to me and they said, Pastor Samuel, my friend wants to borrow money from me. What should I do? I said, well, what does he want to borrow money for? He said, he wants to borrow money to buy a new car. I said, what kind of car does he want to buy? And he told me, and it was a very expensive car. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Pastor, I don't even drive a car like that. Pastor, I drive a Toyota, and he wants to buy this expensive car. He He said, what? I said, you don't need to lend somebody money for something like that.
1: Please. This is not a need. This is a want.
0: He said, open your hand and lend to him sufficient for the need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. Now, i make a little note in the side of my Bible. We can have unworthy thoughts. (laughs) Now, now that is something that you should explore. And maybe make a list in a section of your Bible with a sheet of paper. Unworthy thoughts. There are thoughts that we all think that are unworthy. Doesn't mean we're not Christian. It just means we've got some unworthy thoughts. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, The seventh year, the year of release, is near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and give him nothing. And he will cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Now, the seventh year is coming. I may not get all this money
1: back. Eh, I don't want to do this. He
0: doesn't have enough time to pay me back, and then I'll have to release him. Now, again, we're not talking about people who are gaming the system. We're talking about people who really have a need. There is a difference. God God does not say, listen, if somebody's gaming the system and they know that next month the seventh year of release is here and so they're going to come borrow money from you right now because they know they don't have to pay it back, that's somebody gaming the system. This is not gaming the system. This is somebody who really has
1: a need. For this is
0: what the Lord, and you will be guilty of sin, verse 10. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudgingly when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all the work and in all you undertake. That's a beautiful. One. When I lend freely and may
1: not even get it back, God will bless me. I like that. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Wow.
0: That's what God says. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Now, again, we're not talking about people gaming the system. We're not talking about people wanting to be extravagant and buy, you know, Louis Vuitton bags while they can't even pay their debts. Okay, we're we're not talking about that. We're talking about people who need to feed their families. Needs, not wants. And again, I keep stressing this because one of the biggest challenges we have in connect groups is people who come in and take advantage and manipulate the generosity of hearts. And people get very discouraged when these people don't pay it back. And they they live so extravagantly. Folks, please, at some point you have to learn, it's okay to say no to wants, but help people with the needs. When people are genuine and they have a need, we open freely our hearts to them, we open our hands to them. But when people are gaming the system and manipulative, no. If your brother a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you he shall serve you for 6 years and in the 7th year you shall let him go free and when you let him go free you shall not let him go away empty handed you shall furnish him liberally out of your flock and out of your threshing floor and out of your winepress as the Lord your God has blessed you you shall you shall give to him you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you therefore I command you this today now again notice Departure benefits. When the people of Israel left Egypt, they plundered Egypt, and they came out with great wealth. Because they'd served these people for 400 years as slaves. And God said, all right, you're going to leave with a blessing. When people have had to sell themselves into slavery, God said, on the seventh year when they go free, bless them on the way out the door. Departure benefits. Bless them on the way out the door. because Now you say, how much shall I bless them? How much has God blessed you? Now, if there's not much, well, then you share what you have. But if there's great blessings, then you share what you have. Your your, your ability to give is determined by, as the Lord has blessed you, you shall give to him. Not in accordance to what God has not blessed you with, but if God has blessed you abundantly, you bless people on the way out the door. Verse 16, but if he says to you, I will not go from you because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you. Then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door. You, you take like a an ice pick and put it through his ear in the door. And he shall be your slave forever. This is called a love slave. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. It shall not seem hard to you when you have to let him go free from you. For at half the cost of a hired servant, he has served you for six years. Now, notice, a slave, the value of a slave was computed at half the cost of a hired servant, somebody that you paid to work every day, a slave saved you you 50% for six years. He said, so don't don't be sad to let them go free. You've gotten your money back. So the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. All the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock, you shall dedicate to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall not eat it, you and your household. Before the Lord your God, year by year, at the place that the Lord will choose. This is the the law of, of the redemption of the firstborn. But if he has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. No, no blemished offerings to God. Because remember, these are types and shadows of Jesus to come. He is without sin. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat of it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat his blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Now, this is part of the um, kosher laws to this day. Meat must be completely drained of blood, and a Jew will not eat the blood. Now, Jesus declared all foods clean. Uh, this I understand today. But again, part of this is when blood, blood goes really bad in a corpse really quick and diseases are spread. Again, these are dietary laws. So understand, God is not trying to make anybody's life difficult. He's just teaching them, this is how to live healthy. I've gone a little long today because I wanted to finish the passage today. I pray this is helping you. Now, reading through Deuteronomy is a little bit of a trudge. In a few more days, we'll get over to Joshua, and life gets a little bit more fun in Joshua as we read the great stories of faith. But we need to read the whole Bible. Because as you read the whole Bible, things begin to fit together and you break out of these little sloganized Christianity that dispensational theology brings about. And you begin to see you begin to see God is God. Father, let your hand rest upon your people today in every home in every home. Father, fill it with your presence, surround them with your love and let that love that surrounds them be a shield to them and protect them today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll
1: see you tonight, seven o'clock.